This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, March 3rd, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being with us. With me on the phone to begin our program is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. He joins me from his Fort Smith office. And uh, welcome to March, Michael. Already? Good grief. February is only 28 days, but it always feels like 50 to me. So, um, well, it'll be. These years get to, to it's, what's that old saying that the days may last forever, but the years go by fast? Yeah. Good point. Uh, we've got all kinds of numbers to talk about this week. Uh, let's talk with sales tax revenue in Fort Smith. Earned another up arrow. Yeah, another consumers continue to spend. And we've also seen that with Arkansas tax revenue. It was uh, up uh, 8.3% in the last month. But in Sebastian, the uh, city's share, Fort Smith's share of the Sebastian County sales tax was 23 Three, roughly 2.3 million. That was up almost 5% in the January report, which, as we've said before, we keep thinking it'll begin to abate, but I, the consumer strength is still there. The city's 1% street tax, which is used for maintenance and new construction on bridges and streets and that kind of thing, was 2.8 million. That was up 4% from last year. You know, it just keeps, it just keeps rising. If you remember last year for, for the full year, that one percent, the city share of that one percent, Sebastian County tax was twenty three and a half million, up almost ten percent, uh, and it was up over nine percent from the budget estimates. Uh, the one percent street tax was twenty eight point eight million, that was up over seven percent uh, for the year, uh, it was, and it was generated uh, over two million more than city officials had budgeted spend for the street tax. So that that's you know that program, that money goes dire- directly back into city streets and bridges and drainage. This year, Kyle, the city, it, it continued to set records, but this year that street tax could hit $30 million for the first time, and the 1%, the city share of the 1% Sebastian County tax could hit $25 million for the first time. So granted, part of that gain for both is inflation, uh, but inflation is moderating. We'll, it'll be interesting to see how that ties back into the percentage increase. You know, what we're seeing, both what economists and reports are showing, on a state and federal level, seems uh, excuse me, state and federal, a uh, national level seems to show for the local that the consumer it continues to be healthy and continues to spend. However, um, home sales <laughs> dropped in what we now know for the full year of 2022. That's after a couple of years of record-setting home sales numbers in Fort Smith. Yeah, and what we saw it was just the numbers fell off pretty dramatically, and not just in the Fort Smith metro, but around the country. Uh, when interest rates started to begin ticking higher, not Surprise. just a little bit higher, but you know, yeah, and I think we all remember the Fed, Federal Reserve, over a series of several months, jacked the rates up pretty significantly. So put a damper on on the numbers. And so the Portsmouth Metro had 3,827 homes sold. Um, that's for some of the counties in, the, in western Arkansas and eastern Oklahoma. That was down 13%. Um, the value was a little over 824 million of all those homes sold. That was down three, about three and a half percent. That shows you that the values kind of stayed healthy. In fact, the average home sales price in 2022 was 215,000, a little over 215,000, which was better than the almost 194,000 in 2021. So there's still some price equity. There's still some inflation, so to speak, in the individual home sales numbers. Uh, but it's also putting a, a dampening effect on uh, what's being sold. I talked to Ashley Milton. She's a broker, executive broker with Chuck Crossett Realty in Fort Smith and in Northwest Arkansas. She said it's, you know, it's kind of her take was that it's brought the market back to normal the way she said it was before the pandemic, where buyers are more careful uh, about what they're buying. They're more interested in getting, you know, appraisals and, you know, making sure that the seller has things fixed prior she said there was a time people were just throwing out cash offers as is because they just, you know, wanted a house. The other issue in the Fort Smith metro area that we're hearing is that there are just not enough homes out there to sell. That that also had an effect on the reduced number. Just there, there's more to, uh, demand for homes than supply. That that also has an effect which we haven't looked at directly, Kyle, on, on you know apartment vacancy uh, or non-vacancy that kind of thing, but. The interest rates are having an effect on the market. As you said, it's been on a record pace. 2021 sales were up 10.5%. 2022, 
uh, and then in 2020, over 2019, home sales were up almost 13.5%. So you've had two years of double-digit percentage gains, and I think we all knew that wasn't going to continue. Building permit values in the Fort Smith Metro were down a bit. Any connection there? Well, no. I mean, so that's going to be a, a lag. Right. So the building permit values, yeah, in the first two months, enforcement Green on Van Buren was uh, $43.3 million. That was down 15%. And it was down, excuse me, it's down 52% from February of 2022. Now, what we saw last year were a couple of big permits for Mercy, the large Mercy expansion for, I think, Owens Corning. There were several other big projects on the tab last year, Simmons, the Simmons plant, Van Buren. Um, some of that is going to level out this year. It's going to be interesting to see. I don't, I'd hate to make a prediction on the, just the first two months of building permit activity. But Fort Smith, Fort Smith permit numbers are up almost 29% for the first two months of the year. Van Buren numbers are down 76%. Greenwood numbers, I think, are up a little bit, up about 40%, but that's on a small number scale. Or excuse me, Greenwood numbers are up 1.5%, but that's on a small number scale. We didn't do a deep dive and have not and probably won't until we get a few more months under our belt of residential building permits to see where that's going in terms of meeting that demand. But that's going to be a balance. As a builder, you're going to want to be careful. If the rise, if you're continue to be in a rising rate environment, you don't want to build too many homes, and because that also is going to suppress uh, consumer demand. So, be, it's an interesting time to be a builder now because you don't know which you may not know which way to jump. Creekmore Park Pool has some age on it. It's the region's only Olympic-sized lap pool, and there's been a suggestion that maybe. Some money could be used to improve facilities and amenities there, but not everyone kind of understands. Well, pick up the story for me. Yeah, well, so the it, it kind of comes out of there's a $14.6 million in remaining proceeds. Back in 2022, well, about 10 years ago, Fort Smith voters approved a bond package to help pay for consent decree water work, that type of thing. Well, those bonds were paid off early. But the tax, when, when you implement a tax, when voters approve a tax, it continues until it was supposed to expire. They had an excess of $14.6 million from that tax. And so the board, city board recently, see this Tuesday, a study session where they discussed what they wanted to do with that. Portsmouth City Administrator Carl Gefkin and several other department heads recommended that all of it go toward paying for this consent decree work, which, as we talked before, that's where the federal government has essentially told the city of Fort Smith you're going to pay hundreds of millions. I think the latest estimate was a little over $700 million to fix the water and sewer system, primarily the sewer system in Fort Smith, which has been neglected for decades. You know, the city has been doing that now for several years, and it's resulted in pretty steep uh, water and sewer rate increases. And so the discussion came about what we should do, what the city should do with this $14.6 million. Out of the blue, um, City Director Kevin Settle and several other directors agreed with him, suggested that they pull at least up to $4 million of that around for Creekmore Park work, which is interesting. I'm, I'm Creekmore Park and the pool, especially the, the bathhouse area, the changing areas, all of that is in dire need of upgrades and renovations. And it's on the capital improvement plan schedule with the city Portsmouth Parks Department. But it, this is kind of an interesting. I've had a little bit of feedback from some of our lists, some of our readers, um, some city residents who they don't necessarily oppose renovating Creekmore. They just are concerned about uh, or their issues with the look. It just they don't think it's a good look. Mm-hmm. Uh, and four million is not a lot of money when you're talking hundreds of millions of water and sewer system improvements. But um, all we've heard from city board for the past several years is we've got to do everything we can fix the cons- work on a consent decree to fix our water and sewer system. And, Spend our money wisely so we don't have to raise water and sewer rates. And then out of the blue comes a $4 million for Creekmore. So, I don't know, just an interesting – we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes politically, but it was just a, kind of an interesting um, twist on how to use that money. Do you think there are some people so, in the city who are just tired of that phrase, consent decree? Yeah, I, I'm tired of it. Every time I open my every time I open my water and sewer bill, I get a little more tired of it. So I imagine so. You can read about all of this and much more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, as always, I appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for talking. I mean, we uh, we like trying to educate folks on what's going on. 
That's drummer Ulysses Owens Jr. in the background, and I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this edition of the show, we'll hear more from Ulysses Owens. He'll be performing Saturday, March 4th at Walton Art Center. We'll also hear from Jimmy Smith, Wes Montgomery, Christian McBride, Kurt Elling, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz tonight at 10 on KUAF 91.3. And tomorrow from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on KUAF 3 on your digital radio, the KUAF app, or by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF 3. Next week on Ozarks at Large, on Tuesday and Wednesday, we have stories about child care in northwest Arkansas. Yeah, that's right. So uh, so my colleague Anna Pope and I are working on a, a tandem of stories about child care services, access, availability here in northwest Arkansas in the River Valley. Um, and so we are actually asking you, listeners, to help us in doing some of this reporting. Um, we're looking for folks who have kids who uh, have had to find child care services. What kind of resources did you use? How did you go about finding that? Um, and was it challenging for you? So we've got on our, uh, on our website, ozarksatlarge.com, on our Twitter feed. You can find a link to a Google form. We're just looking for your name, your location, your email address, and how did you go about finding child care, whether you looked for a while and ended up using an in-law, whether you went through a full-blown service, how you went about finding childcare, and what was your experience, and uh, and also what advice do you have for parents looking for childcare? This is a very personally <laughs> facing question for me, um, but this, this is the kind of information we're looking for. If you're willing to help us with this reporting, you can go to ozarksatlarge.com, and it's right there at the very top. When caring for a seriously ill loved one, the journey shouldn't be taken alone. Circle of Life Hospice can help. Services are covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. No one is turned away based on an inability to pay. 750-6632 or nwacircleoflife.com for information. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season on Saturday, March 11th at Walton Arts Center. Performing music from Sona's debut album release featuring groundbreaking new music that blends acoustic and electric sounds, including works by Paul Haas, Trevor New, and more. After intermission, Sona musicians will raise the roof with the joyously beautiful Symphony No. 3 by Brahms. Tickets and information at sonamusic.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Yesterday, the Arkansas House of Representatives voted to advance the Learns Bill by a vote of 78 to 21, with three Republicans voting no. Before passage, Democrats spoke against the provisions in the bill, which they felt could open public schools up to takeover by private and charter companies and funnel large amounts of money out of public schools. Democratic House Minority Leader Tippi McCullough joined her colleagues in expressing how she felt the bill had been improperly handled in the legislature. Is this how we make our laws now? Behind closed doors, weeks of delays, fights with educators on social media. I understand we have a new governor with new plans, but why is this body changing how we have made laws and education policy for our entire history? Representatives who supported LEARNS talked about the importance of creating an educational system with different options for every child. They emphasized Arkansas's low literacy and educational ranking. Representative Keith Brooks explained his support for the bill in his presentation. As I've said publicly before, we must look our collective selves as a state in the mirror and agree that on too many levels, what we have done has not produced the results that our kids desperately deserve. Debate ended prematurely after Representative Aaron Pilkington motioned to cut it off. The bill passed the House and goes back to the Senate for final approval. Bentonville's city voting wards are going to look different in 2024. The Bentonville City Council voted to redraw the boundaries of its four wards last month. Typically, redistricting for congressional, state, and county seats happens after a decennial census, but because of population growth, officials decided to adjust the map. Stephanie Shaw, GIS analyst for the Northwest Arkansas Planning Commission, says cities like Bentonville must account for more than its population on the current census because those maps were drawn in 2019. And if they've had any increase in population, they've had any annexation, or they're going to have, like in Bentonville's case, 
a very large subdivision come in, they need to account for the population in those areas. Otherwise, they do the redistricting, and as soon as they do it, it's pretty much outdated. About 18,900 people live in Ward 3, Bentonville's most populated district, and in Ward 1, the city's least populated area, has about 11,200 residents. This is a nearly 60% population deviance. Shaw says that if the population deviance is under 10% among the wards, the commission does not see a need for redistricting. She says the commission did not help redraw the maps in Bentonville, Springdale, or Fayetteville, but did in Rogers. Rogers, we worked some stuff up from them, but I'm, they're still working on their uh, getting that adopted or trying to see if they need to make any changes. Local governments in Arkansas could have fewer dates to set special elections as a result of a bill making its way through the state legislature. Lawmakers on the House, state agencies, and governmental affairs committee this week voted to advance House Bill 1510, sponsored by Republican Representative David Ray of Maumel. Ray says local governments use special elections held at irregular times in order to raise taxes. And in many instances, this is a deliberate strategy aimed at keeping turnout low so that the folks who do show up are those with a vested interest in the passage of that measure. This will help keep the tax burden on our citizens low. When It's obvious that when voters actually know when the election is going to be held, it's harder to sneak things past them. Under the bill, local governments could set special elections only in March and November in presidential election years and only in November all other years. Democratic Representative Nicole Clowney of Fayetteville said current Arkansas law already limits special elections to only four times a year. Why are we so convinced that the people who do show up are not an accurate cross-section of those voters in that district, or at least those who care enough about an issue to show up on one extra day to vote for a thing. And the reason that I'm asking that question is because I feel like our local um, entities need flexibility. The bill would allow for local governments to hold emergency elections if the need arises. It now heads to the full house for a vote. An attorney from Little Rock will be the next member of the University of Arkansas Board of Trustees. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders appointed Kevin Crass yesterday to fill the expiring term of Charles Gibson. Crass will be on the board through March 1st, 2033. The Arkansas Meat Inspection Program, authorized during the 2021 legislative session, is awarding its first two licenses. A meat company in Hope and the Arkansas State Meat Market in Jonesboro earned the licenses this week. The program, overseen by the Arkansas Department of Agriculture, is expected to increase the amount of locally sourced meat in the state by inspecting products for shipment within the state's borders. Arkansas will receive $44 million in grants for affordable housing, community development, and assistance for people experiencing homelessness. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development is distributing $5.6 billion among 1,200 communities through 2,400 state grants. State of Arkansas and 14 other cities, including Bentonville, Fayetteville, Springdale, Rogers, and Fort Smith, will receive funding. The grants are provided through five department programs, and the state and cities will receive money through four of them. These federal grants are awarded to the region's cities at a time when housing prices have been rising. Although there is a lack of affordable housing in the area, northwest Arkansas home prices crept down in January compared to the same month in 2022, according to a Redfin analysis. Rent rates in Arkansas also higher. The residential rent in Arkansas rose 16.5% in the past year. National average went up 2.4%, according to a study from Rent.com. A Northwest Arkansas dining staple will be closing soon. AQ Chicken in Springdale will close March 18th. I still got some time to go. The restaurant is planning to end serving dishes like chicken over the coals. The Springdale Landmark opened in 1947 and made national news when President Bill Clinton ate there in the 1990s. A double bill of area favorites at the Eureka Springs Auditorium will be part of the Eureka Springs Blues Party this spring. Little Wing Productions announced this morning that Ray Wiley Hubbard and Marsha Ball... ...will play at The Odd on Friday, June 2nd. Tickets go on sale a week from today. The Woopig Classic softball tournament continues at Bogle Park on the University of Arkansas campus through Sunday afternoon. 
Yesterday, the number seven Razorbacks blanked Iowa State four to nothing. Arkansas has two games Saturday. Arkansas has two games scheduled for today, two on Saturday, and another game on Sunday. Number eight Razorback baseball team opens a three-game series with Wright State today in Bomb Stadium. Arkansas last played Wednesday, outlasting Illinois State 10-9 in 11 innings. And the University of Arkansas Fort Smith Lions baseball team in San Angelo, Texas this weekend for a four-game set against Angelo State University. UAFS 6-8 and eight heading into the games. Next home game for the Lions one week from today against Texas A&M International. So to come on our show this Friday, Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, embraces the very new and some very traditional cannons for their next concert. And Courtney Lanning says there is boxing in Creed Three, but it's the relationship between the title character and his family that provides the spark. Courtney's review later. Entries are coming to a close for NPR's annual Tiny Desk Contest. The 2023 contest is open to all unsigned musicians, and submissions are taken until March 13th. All you need is an original song, a video of you performing it, and a desk. You must be 18 years or older to apply, and the deadline is coming up on March 13th. For rules and to see current and past entries, go online to tinydeskcontest.npr.org. Those who appreciate True Crime Podcast can gather together May 19th and 20th for True Crime Fest NWA at the Rogers Convention Center. Speakers will include personalities from United States of Murder and the Deep Dark Secrets Podcast. A True Crime Podcast with a different angle is Buried Bones, hosted by journalist Kate Winkler-Dawson and retired investigator Paul Holes. Each episode examines a murder from the past, sometimes the far past, and attempts to apply modern-day investigative techniques. During a recent conversation, I asked Kate about the podcast. Paul and I are both professionals. He's a forensic investigator, and I'm a journalist, and we both still work in our fields. So I think he and I both look at crime stories, not for entertainment value, for intellectual value, to learn something. These are people. He and I both deal with real people all the time in our books and, and everything else that we do. And so... I think there's a level of respect there that we really try to have um, that I think it's not really there for some other uh, true crime, you know, different mediums. But but we really we work hard on on respecting the victims, survivors, even the perpetrators, depending on what the circumstances are. Some of the cases that you talk about on Buried Bones are 100 years old or more, often more, more like 1700s. Yes. The older, the better for me. I said, I always joke that the deader, the better is probably a little crass. But, but, and, and you bring them and you, you have as many facts as you can using what technology investigators had at the time. And then it's like, what can we deduce 50, 100, 200 years later? How'd you come up with this approach? It's the what I do in my books and in my other podcasts and, and any other project I've been involved with is looking at crimes from a 21st century lens, looking back on the information that we now know, how it might have been different information. It could be criminal profiling. It could be forensics from what they knew, as Paul would say, back in the day, which <laughs> when he says back in the day could span 500 years ago to 30 or 40 years ago. And, you know, of course, the way that people investigate crime and evaluate um, victims and evaluate the offenders has changed. But really what to me stays the same is the reason that these crimes happen, sometimes the way that they're solved. And, um, you know, oftentimes the reverberations among families and in society and ultimately in the fabric of, of who we are in America. So the approach I take really is we take a historical look. I, I try to drop Paul into some era that he is unfamiliar with because I like making him uncomfortable sometimes. And, um, you know, we talk about the history part. We talk about the crime, the actual crime. And I try to unfold it as a narrative, as I would with a friend of mine. I sit down with with friends of mine who are police officers and investigators and, and attorneys all the time about book ideas. I just did it two weeks ago and said, what do you think about this? Here's the case. And they'll give me their opinion. And, and I try to do the same thing. So we we are balancing a lot of different things on that show. What's very interesting is when you first begin to give the details as they are known, 
so many years later, you'll hear Paul's brain working in that 21st century, and he'll mm-hmm. stop and ask a question. Like, and, and sometimes I'm thinking, this is the most banal question. Why does he care about that? But he does a good job explaining how that might inform an investigation if it were taking place today. He is also an excellent storyteller, and I didn't realize that until we started doing this show together. He really has figured out how to relate to people from the 1700s and the 1800s, and he sees the same thing I do. Behavior is predictable in 1755 as it is in 2023 now, and so I think when he asks those questions, they are legitimate questions he would ask about a crime that happened two weeks ago. And so I, I sometimes wish um, that we were, had a YouTube channel because <laughs> people saw the look on his face. And I often were, I'll say, boy, I wish you all could see the look on his face right now. And, but he's great. He never interrupts me, which is just wonderful. But it's great because there are certain things, certain topics, uh, if you bring up polygraph tests or something, that will really get him going. That he, he really wants to make sure those of us who are listening understand what certain... Uh, investigative tools can and cannot do. Yeah, and he understands the limitations of criminal profiling, and he understands that sometimes when I lay out a case, I'm leaving out important information because I want him to evaluate this as if he were an investigator just called to the scene, and you don't have all that information. So he is asking questions as if he's in the middle of an active investigation. It's something that he would ask me, a rookie investigator. Well, what's this? What does this mean? What does that mean? And and we don't have all the answers, obviously. DNA analysis would be incredibly helpful in a lot of our cases. Um, you know, and and but then if I wanted to do cases that were more modern, that's what we would be doing. I love the challenge of a historical case. And you just see it over and over again, that the way that officers think, the way investigators think in the 1800s, the roads that they go down. Paul says, that's exactly what I would do, which is amazing to see. It's a, a wonderful for me, a, a wonderful snapshot in history every single week. Kate Winkler-Dawson is host of the podcast Buried Bones, a longer conversation with her on Weekend Ozarks at Large, Sunday morning at 9. It's the Community Spotlight Week in Review. I'm Pete Hartman. Happy Friday. As per usual, we heard from a number of our neighbors working to make the best of their communities this past week. We'll begin with Community Service Incorporated. They held their Brighter Days fundraiser this Wednesday. They offer services to at-risk youth, specifically working with the state's juvenile courts and detention. Here's CSI Youth's Zach Trent. Our overall mission is fairly simple, to provide caring and responsive youth services. We do have uh, programs specifically for kids coming out of juvenile detention. We have close relationships with the judges and uh, parole officers. And all of those kids come to us and we make sure... You know, we do our best to make sure they don't go back to detention by providing classes, uh, mental health services, case management. We uh, also have a coordinator who works with them on jobs. So we will work with employers to get those kids into jobs. If they're ready for continuing their education, we'll plug them into trade schools or colleges, just depending on their passion and their purpose. But we also work with youth who aren't in the court system. Mm -hmm. Any young person out there that's suffering that needs assistance, and we provide those other services at no cost to them as well. Zach Trent with CSI Youth. Their Brighter Days event was held this past week. They have offices in Rogers, Springdale, one in Carroll County. In fact, Community Service Incorporated works in 25 counties in the state. For more on this local nonprofit, CSIYouth.com. It's March, and that means it's Arkansas Archaeology Month, and it is always one of my favorite things to do. Talk to the folks at the Arkansas Archaeology Survey and the Society. These two groups collaborate to host a number of different events throughout the state this month. Here's Jillian Stino, who serves as the liaison between the survey and the society. 
the society was actually formed first in Arkansas. Um, so the society was basically a group of avocational archaeologists who came together to advocate for those in academics um, in archaeology in the state. So the survey and the society work together now in order to talk to landowners, um, basically organize what's going on archaeologically in the state. Um, so we have a couple events throughout the year, um, an annual meeting in September, a society training program down in Dequeen, Arkansas for the society training program. So there's a lot of really cool events um, um, lots of cool ways for people to get involved in the society who weren't necessarily interested in archaeology in an academic sense, but they can get involved in it whenever way they can, any age, you know, any walk of life. It's a really cool organization and partnership between the, both of us. Jillian Stino, Survey Society Liaison. Real quickly, Jillian, how many members do you think the society has? hundreds throughout the state. Um, we have 10 different chapters in any location that you can think of. The local one here is the Coco Sea chapter in Fayetteville. So they meet every second Wednesday of the month. It's just an opportunity for them to get a presentation and kind of ask questions and learn more about archaeology. Um, but any anyone of any age can attend. But there's a lot of different people from throughout the state that are coming and participating and interacting. Jillian Stino, the Arkansas Archaeological Survey and Society Liaison. March is Archaeology Month in Arkansas. Events kick off with next Wednesday's visit by Carrie Wilson of the Quapaw Nation. She'll be speaking about effigy pots at the Fayetteville Public Library. And we'll be hearing from others all throughout the month. For more, archaeology.uark.edu. We'll be featuring another series of segments this month, too, with a focused effort to help out our friends at the Elizabeth Richardson Center. March is Intellectual Disabilities Awareness Month, and all month they'll be holding their Break the Box donation campaign. Earlier this week, I spoke with Jenna Dare with the ERC. You know, when you think about a toddler going through potty training or learning how to brush their teeth or, you know, other things like that, you need extra sheets and extra towels and extra clothes and, you know, just hygiene items and things like that that aren't covered by Medicaid. And as a nonprofit, we really struggle um, to provide everything that our clients need. I think that we're so focused on keeping ourselves safe and our family safe that we've kind of forgotten that there are other people out there who... Um, are struggling even more because of that. Um, and, you know, we all have our issues with inflation and just everything. Um, but those costs are also passed on to nonprofits. And we we just really need some extra help. We have blue donation boxes um, that will be at various locations that we'll talk about, Legacy Bank and here at KUAF. Um, so we're going to break it down into weeks because there's, there's so many things we need. But the first um, few days of March, March 1st through the 11th, we really want to break the box on what I would call um, cloth items. Okay. Jill Adair with the Elizabeth Richardson Center. She says items like socks, towels, washcloths, underwear, sports bras, full or queen bedding, and curtains are needed. We'll be hearing from others with the ERC all this month to help remind you of their needs. KUAF is a drop-off site for their Break the Box campaign. We're at 9 South School in Fayetteville. Please note, they are looking for new items, not used, for this donation campaign. We wrap up this week in review, highlighting an event taking place tomorrow, Saturday, in Rogers. It's called Let's Pause for Love. That's P-A-W-S, Let's Pause for Love. It's hosted by Pet Partners, a national organization that works to further the mission of therapy dogs. Here's Kelly Stockman. Pet Partners' mission is to improve the health and well-being of humans through the human-animal bond. And through my dog, Sir Edmund, um, along with many other therapy dogs in our area, we meet with people to bring them comfort and joy. Pet Partners is the organization that registers and helps to train therapy dog teams. This is a celebration of therapy dogs, but there's also art, games, a book nook for kids, local authors. Yeah, it was really enjoyable, and I found that as I went in the community in Rogers, 
that the local businesses were really excited about getting on board with this and were offering all kinds of help. So um, the book nook is one thing that I'm really excited about with having local children's authors there in person to read aloud from their books. So children can then read to a therapy dog. And that, that takes away some of the, um, the stress about reading aloud to, to humans. So I'm really excited about that. Kelly Stockman with Pet Partners. For more on tomorrow's free event, just search Let's Pause for Love on Facebook. I'm Pete Hartman, and I can't wait to see what comes from next week's Community Spotlight segments. Remember that 631 and 831 a.m. weekdays here on Ozarks at Large. And you can listen plus access past segments at KUAF.com. Just look to the right of the page and you'll find it. If you know of a need in your community, you can send me an email. That's Pete at KUAF.com. The Community Spotlight. Your voice matters. Sona's season continues later this month with a program titled New Cannons. Conductor and music director Paul Haas was recently in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk about the music included in the March 11th concert that includes new works and Brahms. We just went through the pandemic, mm -hmm. and all of us got used to being alone <laughs> and unable to communicate. But somehow we figured out a way to communicate through that period. Somehow we found a way to be human, right, and interact with one another. And so the Trevor News piece on this program uh, is very much uh, a, a product of that time, right? It, it, it's, uh, it's a piece that involves Trevor himself playing the viola solo. Then it also has a couple of string quartets piped in from various places around the world. It has, I think, either, either six or seven soloists also piped in from six or seven places around the world. Because this is in the time when we just couldn't be around each other in person. Exactly. Uh, and then it also, and then, of course, the orchestra is on stage. And so you have this hybrid form where you have, you have the up-close personal acoustic experience, but then you also have this very electronic uh, kind of metaverse experience <laughs> of, of, of the performers from abroad and different places coming in. And it's just a very rich texture. It's, a, it's, it's, uh, it's an incredible experience. The, the, I, I didn't get to see it live when it was premiered, uh, but I did, see, I did see the YouTube of it when the American Composers Orchestra did it uh, in New York. And uh, it, it just kind of screamed out to me and said, you have to do this. <laughs> uh, and so not only are we performing it on this concert, but we are also releasing it on an album. Yes, uh, an album that will feature works of many, what would we say, contemporary composers. Yes. Uh, it's, it's three composers. Uh, all I, I, I'm actually one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's Ray Lustig, whose Latency Canons we uh, released, I think it was in, I can't remember which summer of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the pandemic it was. Anyway, during the pandemic, we released this. Uh, people loved it. Yeah. And it's a, a, a very fun piece, sort of similar ideas to Trevor News in that uh, it's performers from all around the place. In, in, in Ray's case, it was string quartets only uh, with the orchestra. And the way we recorded it was it was during the pandemic, so everyone recorded their part from home. Mm -hmm. Right, and then it was all stitched together in the studio.
and ended up really brilliantly. I'm really happy with that uh, product. So that'll be on the album, that, that recording that we did that was completely virtual. Right. Uh, and then Trevor's is a mix of virtual and then live recording. And then my piece was actually, uh, it's from 2016. It was a commission by the Faye Jones School of Architecture Design. Peter McKeith came up to me and uh, he commissioned this work for their 70th anniversary back in 2016, and uh, as well as the opening of their new building. And so it's a site-specific piece that is meant to be played in different places within their building. And it adapts really nicely into the concert hall, but that, that, that's its origins. So the, those are the three pieces that are, that are on this album we'll be releasing. And when does the album come out? Sometime, sometime later okay. this spring. We'll probably do a pre-release around March, and then the entire, the entire album will come out later. So. Also on uh, the program is Brahms. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I, I think of, you know, you, you, can, you can draw the, th the through line with communication uh, and, and also with straight up canon in that, uh, in that Brahms is, is the, the old fashioned stodgy composer of his day, right? I mean, not, not really seriously like that, but he was definitely the, the, the old school, uh, the, 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 the classicist. Mm -hmm. uh, and so as he was very rule bound in his composing and, and even the way he, he, he uh, analyzed his music and analyzed other composers' music. He was very, very rigid and rule-based. So there's that connection. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you can also just play great music. Right. And that's, and that's okay. Um, but so I think there is the through line if you want it, but it's also just Brahms' Third Symphony. I did want to say that New Canons, we're calling it New Canons because that will be the name of the album. Ah. And the, the concert is called New Canons, as, as, as is the album. And it, it, it got that name almost exclusively because Ray Lustig's latency canons creates a canon because of the latency in the electronic connection from across the world to you. So it's delayed... You know, so uh, players on stage will play a line as well as people across the globe at the same time according to what they hear. However, when you hear it come out on stage, it's anywhere from two to five seconds, say, later than it was before. So you have this canon, the one voice following the other, the electronic coming after the acoustic. And I know this is the case with any performance, but that means especially here it's never the same live twice. Never. No, and that and that will be true of uh, of any piece that we ever perform. Right. But specifically, this this one with Trevor New, uh, because of the latency effects of the soloists and the quartets coming from the different places across the world. What will I see when I'm in the the audience facing the orchestra? Well, you will see the orchestra. Uh, if you look in the center, you'll see me. Yeah. Uh, and then there'll be a screen or screens up. We haven't we haven't come across. Uh, we haven't decided the exact format, but there there will be a way for you to see the different performers across the globe when they come in, uh, and so it'll make it a richer experience. So it's not just it's not just the audio; it's sure. also the video. People would like to go. They can go to the Sona website. Sodamusic.org. It is definitely where you get your tickets. And I suppose you can still walk up to the, the box office at Walnut. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, this is going to be a very special concert. It's, it's not often you get to hear pieces that were written very recently that have uh, this kind of 
I mean, we haven't really talked about it, but they really do touch on issues that have affected us all deeply in the last couple of years. Uh, and you know, still, still affecting still, us. Still, yeah. I mean, when's the other shoe going to drop mm-hmm. is sort of uh, <laughs> the subtext in all of our minds. But, yeah, to, to be able to really delve into the idea of communication when communication isn't necessarily possible uh it's a it's a it's a meaningful experience a special experience i think it's a rare one to actually to to contemplate that and i i i can't wait for this i can't wait to uh, to to bring this to to northwest arkansas paul haas is the music director and conductor for the symphony of northwest arkansas the new canons concert is saturday march 11th Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville. Walton Arts Center presents Ulysses Owens Jr.'s Generation Y as part of the Starlight Jazz Club Saturday, March 4th. A producer, educator, and drummer, Owens is a jazz triple threat. His Generation Y project is comprised of dynamic young jazz musicians that Owens met through his professorship at the Juilliard School. Tickets and information at waltonartscenter.org. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams with me via Zoom, Courtney Lanning. Courtney, welcome back to the show. Kyle, thanks for having me. Last week, we talked about the third movie in a franchise, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which left you lukewarm at best. This week, we're kind of talking about a third film, but also kind of like a ninth film in a franchise. Yeah, I suppose if you want to get technical, this is the ninth Rocky movie. Sans Rocky this time, though. Um we're talking about Creed Three. Michael B. Jordan, who is one of the most charismatic and talented actors going, he is Creed once again. Um, how's the movie fare? You know, uh, for people who have been following along with this franchise, and I looked it up, um, I think the first one came out in 2015. So this is technically, you know, an eight year, almost nine year franchise now. We're pushing a decade. And uh, I don't know, I think he just gets better with every movie, if, if that's even possible. Um, you know, if you follow the Rocky trajectory, uh, of course, the first two movies are the best. And then, you know, the third one's still fun. Uh, who doesn't love Clover Lang? Here, Creed comes out with powerful moments, both in the ring and out. I love seeing Adonis with his family. I know everyone's going to come to this movie for the fights, and that's perfectly fine. The fights are great. Um, but, you know, honestly, my favorite part, I just love him uh, hanging out with his daughter. You know, Creed is retired at this point, been out of the ring for three years. His daughter appears to be, I don't know, five, six, seven-ish. Uh, she is hearing impaired, so he has to use sign language to communicate with her. And it's, it's just adorable to watch him. There's a scene at the start where uh, she wakes him up from a nap and, you know, she's like, you promised it's time. And. And he's like, ah, oh, okay. So they go out onto their little patio and she's having a princess tea party and he shows up dressed in a frog onesie and, and they sign, you know, having tea together. It's honestly, that's my favorite aspect of the movie, which probably makes me the odd duck out. Michael B. Jordan, as good as always? Absolutely. Um, he really takes the torch. You know, no Sylvester Stallone in this movie, which... I was a little worried about, not because I didn't trust Michael B. Jordan, but because I kind of love old Rocky. Yeah. I loved him as a mentor. I think he got snubbed for the Oscar in the first Creed movie um, for uh, best supporting actor. I really think he deserved that one. Um, And, you know, my favorite Rocky movie out of the bunch, even though one and two are obviously the superior films, I like Rocky Balboa the best. Uh, I like the older Rocky. I think Sylvester Stallone plays the age well. Um, but, you know, no worries here. Uh, Jordan comes out. He proves he can carry the franchise on his own going forward. You know, at the end of Creed II, um, Rocky says to Creed, it's your time. This movie, it's all his time. Also in this film, another one of the great young actors in television and film right now, uh, Jonathan Majors, Actually, second straight week we've talked about a movie with Jonathan Majors, isn't it? Yeah, although with this one has much better results. <laughs> you know, Marvel has not quite figured out how to make good use of Jonathan Majors as a villain. And that's not Jonathan Majors' fault. That's Marvel's fault for not pairing him with writing that matches his talent. But you know what? 
Michael B. Jordan had no issue directing him to be this terrifying, raw force, powerful performance. And, you know, Jonathan Majors just adds to the rich conflict between these two fighters. You know, the movie is, is all about their past together and the, the past catching up with the present and how you have to deal with past traumas and hurts. Uh, and, you know, of course, they, they solve their hurts in the ring. All right. You loved the, the birthday party and the relationship between Adonis Creed and his daughter. But as you mentioned, there is a fight, and that pays off for the people who want to see what boxing movies usually give us, which is a, a thrilling, climactic fight. Of course. Uh, it wouldn't be a Creed <laughs> or Rocky movie if there wasn't a fight. Um, and the fight is absolutely fantastic as well. Um, they don't skimp on that one bit. Michael B. Jordan actually directed this movie in addition to having the lead role. He works perfectly behind the camera leading this story. Uh, and whether that's inside of the ring or out, he does great. The I remember reading an article before seeing Creed 3 that Michael B. Jordan said he took some inspiration from uh, popular anime, you know, action anime that often have a lot of explosive battles. Uh, he said he took some inspiration from that for the fight, and you can absolutely see it. They do some really creative things. Um, one of the more interesting parts of the, the final fight sequence, when it's just him and Jonathan Majors in the ring together, there's a scene where um, in one round, the entire audience is just, gone so they're fighting in an empty stadium uh dodger stadium actually in this ring together uh it's just them their punches one of the sides of the ring is uh bars from a prison because they both know what it's like to be locked up got some really creative stuff in this final fight anything else coming out this week yeah and i'm sure i'm going to butcher the pronunciation there's another movie coming out for jason statham fans it's called operation fortune ruse du guerre Okay. Uh, there's some French in there. I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm sure, you know, some some French Ozarks listeners are are rolling their <laughs> eyes at me, but that's going to be your your standard Jason Statham action flick. It looks like Creed Three review in today's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Do you know what we are going to be chatting about next time? You and I will talk about Scream Six. All right. I didn't I didn't realize Scream Six was going to be a thing. Courtney Lanning, as always, thank you for your time. Kyle, thanks for having me. This weekend on the Vinyl Hour, I am welcoming spring with a curated playlist of songs that are light and cheerful. Songs that feel like waking up, and that's just what spring is about. That's this Saturday at 5 on KUAF. Monday on Ozarks, cataloging Northwest Arkansas, one interview at a time. My goal is is really to kind of share my platform with as many people as I can share it with. And it's not by virtue of, you know, only the certain type of people that are this way or that way. We sit down with Randy Wilburn, creator and host of I Am Northwest Arkansas, to find out how his work has introduced him and his listeners to so many parts of where we live and we'll discuss the new partnership between his show and ours. Monday, Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m., and by listening to our free Ozarks at Large podcast. As a transplant to the area, I really appreciate the work that Randy's doing oh, with I Am Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. I really resonate with it. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Eureka Springs, and Yellow Rock. We are a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Contributors included Pete Hartman, Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Anna Pope contributed news about Bentonville redistricting and affordable housing. Additional material you heard today delivered by the news staff at KUAR Public Radio in Little Rock. For KUAF and Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'll be back with you Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend Ozarks at Large. We will then have another week of brand new material uh, beginning Monday at noon and 7. If you ever miss us, ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. You can hear the most recent edition of the show or you want to dig deeper, you can just go to OzarksAtLarge.com. Thanks for listening.